Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Miss This, again on field trip mode. And this really is our last spot in Nauvoo. You forgot, but it really is (laughs) this one. Now, we're in the backyard of a family called the Browning family. And we want to go into sections 137 and 138 together um, here to start. So we're going to start in 137. Um, you'll see that this is actually a revelation that came to the prophet at the temple in Kirtland, Ohio, which we love, um, that this is temple revelation and would be particularly meaningful to this family, which is why we chose this backyard to teach this lesson from. You'll um, find in verse 10 of 137, a verse that says, And I also beheld that all children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven. Um, we love that verse for the fact that right where the camera is, so right where you are standing, is the back door of the Browning home. And I can imagine that it's a door that a mom and a dad stood at several times over the course of the time that they lived here for the view of two things that they would have seen. And one would be um, the grave of Lizzie, their little tiny daughter who died while they were here in Nauvoo. And the other would be the temple, which hinted towards the promise of these blessings that they had learned about in Kirtland. And I think to myself how this Revelation 137 and how that temple would have given them so much hope Um, particularly as we end this time in Nauvoo and they are going to have to leave both that temple and that baby. And the only thing they will be able to carry with them on that trek west is the promise that came in the Kirtland Temple and the promise they learned about in the Nauvoo Temple and the promises that would continue to come. Yeah, and it almost seems like that's the only thing that will get them right through that trek. I mean, how do you bury a child, and then move on the next day. It is hope and promises that are there. And what's powerful is many, many years later, uh, 50 plus years later, the revelations of hope and promises to come keep coming. This one through the prophet Joseph F. Smith um, in section 138, who interestingly drove his wagon across the plains with his widowed mother. You remember, he's the son of Hiram Smith and was just a little boy when his father was martyred. The first time he met his dad was down in the dungeon of Liberty Jail. You remember when he held this little baby down in there and drove this wagon with his widowed mother across the plains. And as president of the church is contemplating a really hard time in his own personal history and the history of the United States. World War I uh, just ending, the Spanish flu, um, his own son, had died from appendicitis and it's in like those kind of dark hours like pondering all of that that he gets this marvelous revelation in 138 and two of the things we love from this are this one at the very beginning it says reflecting upon the great atoning sacrifice of the son of god and the great and wonderful love of the father and the son 
this vision came forward. And I think that is a, a powerful principle that reflecting on the great love of the Father and the Son brought these additional truths, this vision of the spirit world. But just listen to the wording of this, of these mm-hmm. people in the spirit world and connect them to the people of, of Nauvoo when it says, all these who had departed firm in the hope of a glorious resurrection through the grace of God the Father and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, gathered together um, to wait. And we get another promise of those who've passed on beyond the veil, how um, the story isn't over for anyone. So it's so awesome to think that in Kirtland and then again in Nauvoo and then again with prophets and temples um, in the Salt Lake Valley and beyond, there are still um, there are still promises and principles and hope that people get a chance to hold on to, to move them through um, the rough times in their lives. A lot of people will talk about in those final days at Nauvoo, there were two things that were happening. And one was everyone standing in line in order to get the blessings that were promised there. And a lot of people talked about it was the strength that came from those promises that probably got them over the plains and to where they would be going next. And and and, and day and night. Yes, they it, were it never there. closed. It, it was day and night. All through the night, people were standing in line to do that. And with Brigham getting um, four hours of sleep per day, but not at the same time. He would steal little cat naps throughout, but just administering those promised blessings and the ordinances yeah. there. And you like, love what was happening that would connect families together um, and give people the strength they needed to be able to do what they had to do. And so on one hand, we love that in those final moments, we want you to remember this little grave and that temple as part of those parting moments of Nauvoo. But we also want to take you to the blacksmith shop on Parley Street where they were preparing wagons and preparing families and preparing temporarily also for that trek that they would be taking across the plain. So we're gonna take you down to Parley Street right now to that blacksmith shop and then down to the river where they would have taken off from. And then we're about to go to Martinsville. So we will, we'll see you there. Blacksmith shop on Parley Street well, The boys ain't got a wink of sleep all week Hundreds of wagons, people shivering Sitting on go clear down to the river Well listen, prophet, Israel calls and Just like Joshua, you face those walls Steam rolls high off the oxen's back Your brigham waves him on as he straightens his hat there's children out there following mothers, sisters walking next to brothers, fathers keeping those wagons going, and everybody's got faith they know you'll take my people home. Yeah, take my people home. Fare thee well, oh Joshua. Last three years a 
up in a burning fire. They buried their jaws up next to Hiram in a secret grave while the saints stood crying. Will you finish that temple high above town? And heaven's light fell like a rain coming down. Believe in somewhere they'll find Zion. Eyes fixed firmly on the liar. Well, there's children out there following mothers, sisters walking next to brothers, fathers keeping those wagons going. And everybody's got faith, they know you'll take my Okay, hi everybody. Do you love Nashville Tribute Band? First of all, they are my enemy because of how <laughs> talented they are. Oh my gosh. They started in Nauvoo and they finished their song here. We are in Wyoming now at Martin's Cove. We came here a lot faster <laughs> than the rest of the people who did. But we wanna talk about in this video with just little stories and songs about that, just our, like our history as a people of them leaving Nauvoo and following a prophet and coming to their promised land in the Salt Lake Valley. And this place here, Martin's Cove, is like just an iconic spot to represent all their journey, people. all their journeys yeah, put together. Across. And they, all those journeys were so different for so many people. I have a grandpa who came across with the pioneers and he wrote in his journal one line about his pioneer journey. He says, I left the Mississippi and reached the Salt Lake Valley without seeing one particle of rain or snow. And everybody here would have loved oh, that experience. Oh, they totally would have. I just imagine him laying out under stars and it was warm and they probably swam in the rivers and that was his journey. And then we're gonna talk a lot today about the Martin and Willie Handcart companies who came through here in October. And we actually chose to come in October too, which we're a little bit regretting because it is freezing, <laughs> you guys. Some of these videos you're gonna see with gloves and parkas and it is just And if you so see snot, cold. I'm so sorry too. It is so cold. But we wanted to come at this time because we just wanted to experience what that might have been like. And I love that it's true for all of us. Sometimes our journey is that we just travel and there's not one particle of rain or snow. And sometimes our journey proves us. Mm. And it's, it's the journey that lets us become acquainted with God. And that's where we wanna to start today. And that's what we wanna talk about. 
here where we are at Martin's Cove is where they camped for a while when those storms came in in the middle of October where they stopped and waited because they weren't sure how they were going to make it the rest of the way and we're going to introduce you to a lot of saints who were here and some of the stories are hard and um, sad and you just love the courage that they had while they were here. One of our favorite people who was here is a woman by the name of Amy Loader. She was a mom who had all of her kids here and they were trying to get across the plains with everyone else who was there and on one particularly cold night when it had stormed, she woke up the next day and the people talk about it was really hard to get up and get going. In fact, lots of journal accounts say it was actually easier to die than it was to just keep moving along the trail and part of what they had to do was keep getting each other going and, and motivating people to go. And Amy woke up and her girls were laying down and she said, come up. She said to patients, you get up and start the fire. And patients said, I can't, I'm too cold and I'm not getting out of bed today. And so then she told her daughter, Tamar, you get up and start the fire. And she said, I can't, I'm too cold. And she asked her daughter Maria to get up and she was like, I can't get up anymore. And the thought of the this mom just looking at her kids and thinking how am I gonna get them to go and you love this part of the story so she goes over to where the fire is and this cute mom after this whole entire trek starts dancing and she dances and dances until she falls down and as soon as she falls down the three daughters jump up and they run over to see if she's okay and then she just starts laughing and she says to them I knew if I did that mom tricks you would get up and um, I just love that mom just giving her girls life and encouragement and helping them to continue on on that journey and that is what they needed was encouragers and people just to keep them going and what's interesting is like every single journey provides opportunities, right? Had it not been so cold and not been so hard, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to be an encourager and to be a hope giver. So you look at, you look at those journeys and they, and they give those moments to be acquainted with God, like you were saying. And you can go one way or the other, right? Some people lost their faith on this trip and some people gained faith on this trip. Um, one of the people that gained faith is a man by the name of Francis Webster and his wife, um, Betsy, who immigrated from England. And when they immigrated over to the United States, they brought a lot of money to be able to outfit just the fanciest wagon. And Betsy was pregnant and they had the plan, let's get there, build a house, put our furniture in, have the baby, start our life. And then they found out that so many people didn't have the money to make it. And so they answered the call and they sacrificed their money to outfit nine other people yep, to come across sold, in. They sold their wagon. Yeah, they had this super Cadillac wagon to ride across in comfort and they sold it so that nine other people would be able to all come in handcarts. And when they got to Iowa City, the handcarts weren't ready and they started to ask, can anybody like share handcarts? Cause we gotta go or we're never gonna make it. And they were one of the first ones to volunteer and said, we'll share with another family. Uh, we can do that. So just you see the sacrifice all along the way. One story in their journey that I love so much is um, they're traveling one day and their friend whose name is James Blake has um, just stopped because I, he said, I can't go anymore. He was too sick and too tired to go. A father of four and as a father of young kids to imagine him being so weary that he felt like he was gonna send them on alone is heartbreaking you know, to me and Francis and Betsy said, no way, hop in the wagon. 
And so they put him in their own handcart and they pulled him for 17 miles into the next resting spot. That story, by the way, is particularly special to Jenny and I because that's Jenny's great-great-grandfather, James Blake, the man who was, who was carried. But they get, they get to the spot and you were going to talk about her having oh, her baby here. Oh, it's so here. interesting because you think about on September 27th, she has that baby. Betsy has the baby. Instead of in the valley, which they yeah, planned, right? Yeah, because she would have if they had gone in the wagon. But now they're in this handcart company. And three weeks after she has that baby is when the first storms come on. October 19th, those storms start coming in. The rescuers don't come until October 31st is when they get here. And Francis and Betsy and their new baby, Amy, will not get into the valley until November 30th. And I just think about those, um, that mom and that tiny baby and her going through this whole thing with that happening as they go across and you you just think about I mean the people who are sick the people who are dying and I love the story that we hear about Francis Webster in that Sunday school class all those years later so when he grows up he's in Cedar City an old man now and people are criticizing well the Martin and Willie Hancock company shouldn't have come that was dumb on their part they should have done it like this and done it like that and he stands up in the back of the class and this is what he's recorded as saying he says I ask you to stop this criticism you're discussing a matter you know nothing about cold historic facts mean nothing here for they give you no proper interpretations of the questions involved. I've pulled my handcart when I was so weak and weary from illness and lack of food, I could hardly put one foot in front of the other. I looked ahead and saw a patch of sand or a hill or a slope, and I've said, I can only go that far, and there I must give up, for I cannot pull the load through it. I've gone on to that sand, and when I reached it, the cart began pushing me. I've looked back many times to see who was pushing, but my eyes, my eyes saw no one. I knew then that the angels of God were there. Was I sorry that I chose to come by handcart? No, neither then nor any minute of my life since. The price we paid to become acquainted with God was a privilege to pay, and I'm thankful that I was privileged to come in the Martin Handcart Company. And that is, uh, that is like the heart and soul of this. It's, that journey that was so difficult and filled with moments of rescue and sacrifice actually became opportunities and chances to become acquainted with angels and with God. And, and people like Francis and Betsy and others took that opportunity to become acquainted with God. It's so interesting because I was here many years ago standing almost in the same place and I was looking out at this cove and thinking about the pioneers and I was standing next to a woman who was here as well. I was dressed in all pioneer clothes because I was on a trek, but she was just in normal clothes. And as we stood there next to each other, it was random that we were even by each other, but she looked at me and she was like, it's remarkable, isn't it? And I said to her, it really is. And then as I sat there thinking about it, I was like, I know why I think it's remarkable because this is the place where so many people were protected from that storm. But I wondered why she thought it was remarkable. And so I said to her, well, tell me what you're thinking. And she said, well, I'm not a member of your faith. I am actually a geologist. I'm here to study the land. And I came because this is one of three places in the entire world where thousands of years ago, the way that this cove is created, a sandbar um, grew up in the midst of it from the wind. And it's, it's that sandbar, and then the way the cove is makes this windbreak right here for storms. And I came to study 
the sandbar. And then she walked away and I sat there for a minute and I started thinking to myself, it's so interesting that God would have created the land just the way he did, that there would have been a cove right here in the middle of Wyoming. One of three places in the whole world where a sandbar would have formed thousands of years before Martin even started thinking about having a handcart company. So that on that October week when they got here and they were in desperate need of deliverance and shelter and rescue, there was a place that had already been formed with that in mind. And it makes me think to myself, what has God already planned for you in your life? Where is your cove? Where is the place that he has, has prepared for your deliverance and for your rescue and for your safe keeping? Because he will do that for all of us. I love when we read about Albert, this cute man named Albert Jones, who was also here. And he talks about that storm on October 19th. Yeah, he says, um, we woke up in the morning and found some six inches of snow on the ground. From this date commenced a struggle, the details of which will never be told. Suffice it to say that at that first fall of snow, a great gloom was upon the entire camp. It's so interesting because years later, he also talks to a group of people 50 years after that time happened. And he says this, our hearts are lifted up in praise to God for all his blessings we now enjoy. And though the handcart episode is one of the unpleasant experiences of our lives, the schooling that it gave tended to make our faith in our religion stronger. And then I love this line and our appreciation of God's own hand dealing with us as a people more easily discerned. And when you think about those two lines, Francis Webster saying, this is the place where we became acquainted with God. And when Albert says, it was this experience that helped us to better recognize God's own hand in dealing with this. And I love when he says, it made it more easily discerned. I think each of us can look back at our lives and see those times when we became acquainted with God and those tutoring experiences that schooled us to know how to discern when his hand is working in our life. And that's the first lesson we want you to remember from this area where we are. We're gonna take you to a lot of places in this country, but from Martin's Cove, if you can just think to yourself, where is your cove? Where is the place where you became acquainted with God? And how were you schooled to more easily discern his hand? working in your life. Okay, here we are at Fort Seminole. This is a spot that we'll tell you a lot of stories about, but one of the things that we want to start with is that call that came in the October 1856 General Conference. Remember when Brigham Young, you've heard this story before, when he heard that there were still immigrants out on the plains, and the entire message of that conference was, go out on the plains and go bring them in. And it, it, was a, it was a call that people said he had a spirit of urgency, that there was no delay, that he started listing out what people would need. And there was a man that you may have heard of before. His name is Dan Jones. Um, not the Dan Jones from Carthage Jail. Yeah, I'm preaching yeah. my gospel, but another. If you want a good kid, you should name them Dan Jones. Because every <laughs> Dan Jones we've ever met in our life is so good to the core. In fact, when the conference was over, there were several people that approached Dan Jones and said to him, 
we want you to come. Or another says, you look like someone I want on this. And I think there's something telling about his heart and his character that so many people, right when Brigham Young gave that call to rescue, immediately several people thought of Dan Jones as a rescuer. You just love too that he was all in from, like as soon as he said he was gonna go, he was all in. He talks about being at the first um, of the group. He talks about um, there were no heroes in the group but that everybody just gave everything they had to this rescue mission. And we love the idea about that. He talks about when they rode up and found the Willie company and they saw them all sitting there and just the hunger and the fatigue and the exhaustion, it just how much it hurt their hearts to see what the conditions were and that they felt a need to go further and find the Martin company. So they told that group there's a wagon coming right behind us and you're gonna be fine. And they set off and they travel for two weeks. And he writes in his journal, we traveled hard. We didn't even stop to eat. And he said, "We the longer we traveled, the more anxiety we felt because we were strong men and we had provisions and things to keep us warm and we were struggling. And we worried so much for them, for what we were gonna find and after two weeks, they, they couldn't find anything. And you just, I mean, again, you see evidence of, I mean, that is the Jesus's leave the 99 principle, like painted out in action that he could have easily said, well, we found the Willie company. Like, I mean, what else yeah. could we do? Yeah, but, this is all we can but do. that for every night he thought, I, I've got to go harder. I mean, just imagine him thinking that, like, I've got to find them. And it's so interesting when he writes in his journal, we found the night severe. Um, as they were traveling. And then what happens is they see a footprint in the snow. And that's what alerts them to the direction they need to go to be able to find the Martin Company. And I love, it's just that one tiny footprint that they're like, this is where we have to go and this is who we have to help now. And they go in and they bring that rescue and they're there for that time. And then they start talking about, we're not gonna be able to bring all this stuff with us back to the valley. We're not gonna be able to bring all of the stuff in the handcarts. We're just gonna save the people. And someone has to stay. And when they asked if, if anyone could stay to guard the stuff, you love that Dan Jones says, any of us would do it. There's any of us. And I think, honestly, if you looked around the group of men, that probably wasn't true, but he had been so quick to be of course, any of us would do it. And so they actually come to him and say, will you stay and find two men that you want to stay with you? And he writes in his journal, I have left home for a few days, not prepared to remain, but I could not back out from that because I had said any of us would do it. And so I did. And it's crazy because how long do they stay? They stay from, they're here from November when or right that time period when they leave, they get into the Salt Lake Valley in November, all the way until the next summer, until June. They and when just... they start, they have 20 days of rations. That's all they have when they begin, is 20 days of rations. And these wood walls behind us look really warm, <laughs> but they are not blocking anything so... for the record. <laughs> so they stay this whole time with 20 days of rations and they just have to live on what they can find out here. and. He writes two other things in his journal that I love. He says this, 
we asked the Lord to direct us and we felt to trust God. And then he says one more thing in his journal. And as we think about rescuing, about being the rescuers, there's so many lessons we can learn from Dan Jones. I love when he says this, I went out after night and asked the Lord to help me out. I told him I desired to do exactly what was best, but didn't know a thing about it. And how many times has that been you? As you look at a rescue situation, I wanna do exactly what is best, but I don't know a thing about it. And as we think about the lesson from this rescuer, from Dan Jones, there's two things that we love. Yeah, and the first one is to look for footprints in the snow. Evidence of people in need of rescue. That if you're watching for that deliberately and looking for it, you will see signs of the people that God is leading you to rescue. And the second thing is rescuing is hard and we may not always feel like we're cut out for the task at hand. We may feel like we haven't prepared for what we're walking into and we may not feel like we have all the knowledge we need to be able to do it. And I love the lesson he says, that just approach the Lord and say, I wanna do what is best, but I don't know a thing about it and then trust the Lord will tell you how to participate in that rescue. And we're gonna see from all these stories that miracles will come. Okay, we wanna keep talking about the rescuer's story because it really is kind of the, I guess the heartbeat of this place is the story of rescue. And we talked about Brigham Young sending those people out and Dan Jones and the great lessons we learned there. Right now we're really close to the banks of the Sweetwater River where we, a lot of us have heard those stories of the rescuers who carried people across um, the frozen water. And we just wanna keep talking about that idea and the lessons about rescue. So one of our favorites is probably one of your favorites too, Ephraim Hanks. And one of the things we love is he's a lot like Dan Jones. The night before that conference that Brigham Young talked at, he had a dream. And in the dream, he was told to prepare to go help and get the people out on the plains. And he had the dream the first time and went back to sleep. And then he woke up and the dream came again and he went back to sleep. And then a third time the dream came again and said, the handcart people are in trouble and you are wanted. Will you go help them? What's well, so interesting because he actually prepared and he went to the conference on Saturday and Sunday morning is when Brigham Young gave that call where he said, we're gonna put aside every other talk that we had prepared for today. And the sermon is, go out and rescue the people on the plains. And the men said they needed several days to get ready. And you love when Ephraim Hanks says, I am ready now. That's such a great principle for a rescuer to just be prepared for the rescue. I love when he talks about how desperate the people were for the rescue. Dan Jones talked about it and Ephraim Hanks talks about it also. And Ephraim says this, which I really love. After he gets there, he's the one who brings that buffalo. He comes in, he gives a lot of blessings to people who are sick and dying at that time. And then he says this at the end of his experience here. I am a firm believer in the efficacy of prayer. And then he says this quote, which is so good. The Lord does do strange things but I notice he always counts on human folk to help him out. And that really is what is gonna happen here. Even though the Lord provided that cove and that little haven and that respite from that five day blizzard that was going to come, he also had prepared people to enter into that story. And you love that one of the people who was there had a dream 
and he knew rescuers were going to come and they were gonna help him. And he has this dream that night before that two men will come in blue coats and they will bring a wagon of provisions to help them. And they wake up the next morning and the snow is 18 inches deep. And he talks about how weary and worn the people were that they didn't even want to get going. But he goes at the very front of the wagon train because he is so sure that rescue is going to come. And then it's so fun when he describes what that was like. Yeah, one of the rescuers is Joseph Young. It's actually um, Brigham's son. And he's part of that first company also that says, I'll go, I'll go rescue. And as he comes in, they say he was riding a, a white mule and a blue overcoat. So because the white mule kind of blended in to the rest of the snow and his coat kind of like flared in the wind, like everybody looked at him and they, they thought, they called him the blue angel. And these angels that came almost as they were flying in. And this is what um, a 16 year old, Albert Jones, we talked about him earlier. This is what he said when he rode in. He says, the scene that presented itself on his arrival I will never forget. Women and men surrounded him, weeping and crying aloud on their knees, holding to the skirts of his coat as though they were afraid he would escape from their grasp and fly away. Joseph stood up in their midst, drawn up to his full height, and gazed upon their upturned faces, his eyes full of tears. I, boy as I was, prayed, God bless him. Mm. And I love that thought of he hadn't said a word, or given them food or done anything, but just his presence, just him showing up was exactly what they needed. We're gonna move over now to the river crossing, to the place where a lot of those stories are told about the sweet water on this trek and finish the rest of what we wanna teach you about this rescue over there. All right, here we are just on the banks of the Sweetwater River. And as much as we love Joseph Young, just three days home from his mission, coming to like help out in the rescue efforts. We know that there's stories of several other people who were just around that age, the boys of the valley, who came uh, to help in that rescue effort. And even though we like talked about up, you know, up there a little bit, that sometimes just showing up is what people need. When they started to go to the Salt Lake Valley, they got to this spot or somewhere nearby, um, it got to a river and it might not look very, wide or deep right here but where we are it's pretty windy and if you could imagine snow on the ground and it just for days just had like no energy and no food the very thought of trying to cross this river just exhausted everybody and they collapsed and these boys um took the people in their arms and they carried them across the river back and forth back and forth several of them until the entire company was across the river and and on their journey and that, that i mean that is the scene to think of that and to think of the sacrifice that they were willing to do to help rescue these people is so touching as we stand here on the banks of this river i love the thought that we hear from another one of the people who was in the party that was being rescued his name was joseph elder and he talks about seeing that those rescuers come from the valley and coming to where they are. And he said he was in a, a wagon train when they saw them come and just the shouts of those people as they shouted out. And he said it was a shout you had never heard before. And he thought to himself, why? Why did we shout? We had seen so many other wagons come by and we hadn't shouted for any of those wagons. And then he says this, it came from the hearts of faithful saints who felt their lives were in the hands of God. 
What made them shout is the Spirit of the Lord bearing testimony that these wagons were saviors coming to our relief. And I just love the thought of that. These saviors who, who left their homes and their what was comfortable for them, and they decided to just show up in the lives of someone else and became for them saviors. They became deliverers and rescuers and exactly what they needed in that moment. And, and that's one of the best parts of the rescue. It's human folk who just show up. Which is probably why there's so much Jesus in places like this. There's so much of his spirit here because yeah. it's that, it's, that's his ministry and mission. Yeah, so good. I said goodbye to my old life, followed my heart more than a thousand miles. I lived the joy, I've known the pain, I felt the hand of God out on that frozen plain. I walked a day on blisters. Now the echoes of these canyon walls makes me want to sing. I've never seen beautiful like a journey's end when nameless faces become my best friends. I've never seen wonderful like a walking on into this mountain
We're just on the banks of the Sweetwater River again at a place that they call Six Crossing. This is a spot where the Willie Company was rescued first because they were a little bit ahead. And we just want to read from some of the journal accounts of how they were rescued. One thing we want to say though is the Martin Company was given a cove and the Willie Company was given a meadow with willows. And it's neat to see that the different ways that God finds to rescue his people. This is what they said. Just as the sun was sinking beautifully behind the desert hills on an eminence immediately west of our camp, several covered wagons, each drawn by four horses, were seen coming toward us. The news ran through the camp like wildfire, and all who were able to leave their beds turned out in mass to see them. Shouts of joy rent the air. Strong men wept till tears ran freely. Little children partook of the joy. Restraint was set aside and the general rejoicing as the brethren entered our camp and the sisters fell upon them and deluged them with kisses. That evening, for the first time in quite a period, the songs of Zion were to be heard in the camp and the peals of laughter as little knots of people chatted around the fires. The change seemed almost miraculous from sorrow to gladness, from mourning to rejoicing, with hearts filled with gratitude to God and our good brethren. It may never stop the raining It's been two weeks since I've been I should be thankful no one saw The tear that I about this day when she was 70 years old. She would have been seven years old at the time when that rescue took place. She said, Captain Willie went ahead through the snow to meet the relief wagons 
and to hurry them as the people were freezing and starving to death. If help had not come when it did, there would have been no one left to tell the tale. As a small girl, I could hear the squeaking of the wagons as they came through the snow before I saw them. Tears streamed down the cheeks of men and the children danced for joy. As soon as the people could control their feelings, they all knelt down in the snow and gave their thanks to God for his kindness and for his goodness to them. And Chimney Rock, she rises like a Memphis Calling his children home And I hear the light roaring on the mountain Taking us home, taking us home Where we are right now is at a base of the part of the trail called Rocky Ridge. This will actually be the most trying part of the trail for the Willie Company, at least. And um, most of the tragedy that happens that you hear of is, is with them. Remember, we were about 15 miles behind us is where we were at the Willows. And they would have gotten here in the early morning and had a 700 foot ascent over a couple of miles and then another 12, 15 miles So they miles get here, go. they sleep overnight. They wake up that morning and they're gonna start this journey and they're gonna take their hand carts and they go up about five miles is that 700 foot ascent. And then they'll walk across the ridge until they get to Rock Creek Hollow. It's a 15 mile journey and it takes them 20 hours. They don't arrive at Rock Creek Hollow until 5.30 a.m. the next morning. And by the time they get there, they've lost people along the way, but even people that will die through the remainder of that night when they get there. It just, it was a hard part of the trip yeah, for mean, this group. And you just have to imagine, this is after everything they did at the beginning, after camping out, waiting for the rescuers, the whole thing happens in knee deep, 18 inches of snow and ice as they are moving up and they are out of supplies and out of energy. And, and it's, it's October like, 23rd and the night of a blizzard that hits and they talk about when you read the journal accounts just this gale force winds that they are walking into as they are trying to go up this mountain. We're gonna actually let you walk up that mountain with us. We wanna show you some parts of this trail because it, you can't describe it as well as you can experience it. But as we're walking up this trail, we want you to be thinking about all of these people that are just worn and weary, they have been through it by the time they get here. And you're gonna have 
widows that are trying to get up this mountain with their little children that are trying to come up. You have brothers looking after brothers and siblings that are trying to watch out for each other. When they get up to the top, it talks about mothers trying to reclaim all their children and people looking for each other. It's hard enough that every man is for himself trying to get up this trail. Yeah, and I just think, you think about that whole ascent up there and just the collapse when they finally meet the end and the only way they could have made it is one, with miraculous power and strength from God and two, that they had each other to do the trail with. And it, you think about this spot and you were like, this is, a, this is a picture of what the two great commandments look like. To love God and to look forward to His promises but also to love each other and look out for each other. And they never could have made it had they not done it together. I think it's so interesting to be at this part because it's not often you get to do a whole trek in one day or to do as we've just done a whole trek in one hour. And this is David's first time here. This is actually my ninth time coming through Martin's Cove and the area here. And it is a place that just, it draws me, it calls to me. It's such a sacred place to me, but I'm so interested to think of you from eight o'clock this morning when you knew nothing about this place to now, what stands out to you about your experience today? I think just this idea of somebody sacrificing for a God that they love. That has been my recurring thought and it was really strong when we were at the Willows and that's just been my continuing thought even here where it's just like, what is it that can motivate a person to keep on going? And I, and I really think it's like love of God and love of others. I mean, that when I said that a second ago, it's because that's like what has been just swirling in my heart the whole time while we're thinking about it. Rocky Ridge is one of my favorite places in this country that you come to. And it's not very often you get to come here. It's actually hard to get a reservation to be able to walk up this trail. And so you'll be happy to be able to watch it on this video. But one of the reasons why I like it so much is because so many of us come to Rocky Ridge moments in our life. So many of us come to the bottom of a trail that when we look at what's ahead of us, we think to ourselves, I don't know if I can make it to the top of this that's in front of me. I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I have the faith. I don't know if I have the endurance to face what is ahead for me here. And I love this quote from a woman who talks about this day, this moment, and she says, I was grateful for my faith in God, for it was only through this faith that I was able to carry on at all. I confess, it seemed at times that the Lord had deserted us. However, the Lord had not deserted us. And I think to myself, we're all gonna have these Rocky Ridge moments. We are all gonna have moments in our life where we are faced with something that seems we may not be able to overcome it, we might not be able to press through it, that it would be easier for us to sit down and, and stop than try and surmount the trial at hand. And I love when I walk up this trail thinking of all of those people who went, the moms by themselves that were watching for those kids, the siblings that were watching over little brothers and little sisters and how each of them helped get each other through this, what would have been insurmountable in any other occasion because of a God who was watching over them and because of their faith that what was ahead of them 
was worth walking toward. And that is true for all of us. The Lord will be with us in our Rocky Ridge moments and there are blessings waiting on the other side. So we're gonna play one of our favorite songs for you here from the Nashville Tribute Band. And we just want you to take a minute and watch as we're walking up this trail and think about your own Rocky Ridge moments. And we'll try and give you some good footage so that you can understand what that 15 mile journey might have been like for them.
my favorite parts about finishing a trek at Martin's Cove is when you come to this bridge and the lesson that you learn from this bridge. This bridge is called the Bell Crossing. And you love when you come here and you get here all in your pioneer clothes and you get your hand carts. If you're here for a several day trek, you come and you cross this bridge and you are gonna talk about the rescue that happened in 1856. You enter that whole place and you hear those stories that we've been talking about, Ephraim Hanks and Dan Jones and the rescuers and everything that happened. And we learn all of those things. And then when you come back, when your trek is over, you actually come back across the same bridge. And there is a stone monument on the other side. This is called the first rescue. On this monument on the other side, it says the second rescue. And as you cross that bridge and you get ready to enter back into regular life, there's a little moment where you just pause and think about what have I learned? What are the stories that I'm gonna take back into my life with me that I learned from this experience at Martin's Cove? And we're hoping that over the course of this past hour, maybe there are some lessons you wanna take back into life with you. And we thought we would close today with just two of our favorite stories. Yeah, and the first one is, is of one of the boys who was rescued. His name is Andrew Jones. And when he talks about being rescued, the night he was rescued, he said, I made a vow um, standing beside a log is what he says. And, and then later on in his life, it's 1862. So what's the math? Six years later, 1850, it doesn't matter. You do the math. Six years later, there's another group of people who are out, an immigrating group of saints who need a rescue. And the bishop of his ward down in Provo calls for rescuers and he says this, now came the opportunity to fill a vow that I made on the plains in 1856 when standing by the campfire made by the mountain boys who came to assist us, handcart people, which was to the effect, should an opportunity arise in my life when I could be of service in aiding people to cross the plains as I and mine had been helped, I would surely engage in that duty. And it is so neat to think about I've received love, I've received rescue, and, and now to make a promise, if that opportunity ever comes in my life, I wanna make sure I, I do that again. To just show people, I think one of the neat things about those people who were rescued is not only that they got rescued, like yay, now we have food, and but the thought that like, wow, I was worth being rescued. Mm, that's so good. You know, that yeah. all, all of that, all of that pulled together for this small group of people and then the effect it had on him and he said, I want to live my life like that as a rescuer from now on. Oh, I love that so much. I love the story of a woman whose name was Susanna Stone Lloyd. She was 25 when she came on the Pioneer Trek and she talks about how hard it was. I love that in one of her journal accounts, she talks about sitting under a covered wagon in the middle of a blizzard and singing, come, come ye saints while she sat there. And as she did that whole journey, there came a time where people would start trading everything they had in order to get buffalo meat or anything they could from the Indians. And she says she had traded her mirror, her looking glass, she calls it, with an Indian. And she had traveled the rest that way and got into the Salt Lake Valley. And she had the opportunity to see herself in a mirror and talked about she couldn't even recognize herself. She had changed so much from the journey. Several years later, Mary Ellen Smoot talked about um, Susanna Stone. And she said it was interesting because that journey had changed her on the inside and the outside. 
And I love the thought of that, of being so changed by an experience that you're changed both on the inside and the outside. And every time I walk across that bridge, I think to myself about Susanna Stone and the, how this experience, this experience of becoming acquainted with God changed her both on the inside and the out. And I think to myself, I want to be like that. I want what we have just learned from Martin's Cove to change me both on the inside and the outside. I wanna remember what we've learned about rescuing and to look for the footprints and to see those boys from the valley who carried people across the stream and Ephraim who said, I am ready now and the Lord will use his own folks to help and- And sacrifice and sacrifice. how good God is. And, and, the, and the children, the children right. who climbed so many mountains. Those are the things I want to remember and I, I wanna be changed. And I want to be a better rescuer. Yeah, and hope that we just ask ourselves that question, not on the end of like this trek experience, but like just the whole Doctrine and Covenants. Now leaving this year, what am I going to take with me? And how am I going to use that to become who I, I want to be? Yeah. Okay, we thought we would end kind of in the same place that we started in with the thought that there were so many people who crossed the plains. And we've spent a lot of time talking today about the Willie and Martin Handgart companies that came in that winter storm that was a blizzard. But it's important to remember that some of the people really just packed up their stuff and came in three months in the summer and they really did just sleep under the stars and they played in the rivers and they sat around campfires and they sang songs and that was also part of the pioneer journey. We're at six crossings now over by Willie's Meadow and everything that happened there. and. This is such a fun place when you come for Trek because it is all of that happy, just what you imagine the pioneer life would have been like. And we wanted to go to 136 since we snuck this chapter in with this week and talk a little bit about what it was like to get ready to go on that big pioneer Trek when people left. And I love when it starts At first out. we have to say, this is my birthday revelation, January 14th. Oh, happy 18th. birthday. Thanks. That's when this was given at winter quarters. Yes, right when they were about Brigham Young. Yeah, so it's a so unique section in the Doctrine and Covenants because yeah. it was a revelation to Brigham Young for this is how we're going to cross. Um, and I love when it says this, this is the word and the will of the Lord concerning the camp of Israel in their journeyings to the West. And I love when you think about like as soon as you read it, it just makes me think, is that the same way he started out with Moses? This is this is my will. When you take the children of Israel across that wilderness for those 40 years, it's almost as if that same thing is happening again. And I love when he says everyone- And how neat it is to like, for them to recognize and be identified with. Yes. We're a modern house of Israel. That's who we yep. are, right? Yep, I love that part. And he says, you're gonna be organized. You're gonna walk in all the ordinances of the Lord. And it's gonna be part of your covenant as you go across and then he tells them, I want you to organize in companies and they're gonna have captains of 10 and captains of 50 and they're gonna be watched over, everybody watched over. And I love when he tells them, go to with your might, that they're just gonna dive into this thing and they're all in together as they're going across the plains. And then this section is just full, you'll see of a lot of different, like um, very specific instruction to this modern camp of Israel. And I like if you skip down to 28, down towards 28. I mean, you, there's so much you're gonna find in here. This is just some of our favorites. It says, if you're merry, praise the Lord with singing and music and dancing and praise and thanksgiving. If you're sorrowful, then call upon the Lord your God with supplications uh, for your soul. 
Fear not your enemies. Be a good steward. You're going to be tried in all things. And it's just interesting, I think, to think about two things. One, these are very specific instructions for a time period. Like none of this revelation came when they were in Nauvoo or in Missouri or anything like that. But at the same time, it's the same God and it's the same covenant people. And so it's neat that it's like different revelation is going to come at different times for for our need, but it's the same God with the same purposes in mind. And you totally see that in verse 21 when he says, I am the Lord, your God, even the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the Isaac and the God of Isaac and of Jacob. I am he who led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and my arm is stretched out in the last days to save my people Israel. And I just love that it's like he's saying, I know what to do. I know how to do this. I've done it before. I moved a group of people and brought them into their own promised land, and I did it then, and I can do it again now. And we just love the thought of that. We thought it'd be so fun to just end with a song that is a little bit more upbeat and just the thought of them packing up and organizing their companies and getting ready to go to Utah, a land of promise for them, of peace, it tells us in here, just a place where they can finally move forward. And so. then, yeah, and then whatever your journey is that you can expect, that God knows what to do and, and he will guide you as he did the people of the past. So we hope you enjoyed our journey here uh, out on the plains of Wyoming and we'll see you next week in the warm happy basement. basement. Oh, we're so happy. <laughs> Bye everyone. Don't
from a long, hard day, but we can't help dance when the pits band plays. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.